if illumination neglects serenity, then aggressiveness appears. So we have been exploring the subtle nuance of the practice of silent illumination as both a practice, a meditation practice, and a, an affirmation of qualities of the awakened mind, which is, which is the ground of our own minds, the ground of being. And when we're in flow with silent illumination, we are in flow with our lives, with original nature, with the source of our lives, the source of creativity, aliveness. And there can be a sense, and we talked about this last week, we really examined flow. There can be a sense of life just sort of happening through us. That, and perhaps you've had this experience in, um, in Zazen, when, when you're settled and you're no longer trying to control the breath or get something from the breath or not get something from the breath and you're no longer in, in a struggle with the mind that the breath may feel like it's just breathing itself. The breath is just breathing itself through you. Nothing you have to do and yet you're fully aware of that happening. And similarly, when we're that immersed in what Hungjur calls silence illumination or what you want to call just the flow of life, like thoughts also just happen themselves and they're less of a disturbance or a problem or an issue. Even if it's a judgmental thought or self-critical thought, it just sort of happens and we recognize, oh, it's just happening. Like this is something that the mind does. And it just, it's not sticky, it just flows through. And similarly with reactivity or, or other emotions, they, they arise and they happen through us. So in this stanza, we're looking at what happens when we're not in the flow, right? Like, it's, it's nice to talk about the flow, but I think part of the reason that we continue to practice is because we're not just in the flow all of the time. And uh, we want to realign ourselves with you know, what, it, what it is like to be in a more open and embracing and kind and wise state of mind, more aligned with our true nature. But of course, we get off kilter. And that's age old in this, in this chant where, where Hungjur is really celebrating the awakened mind and, um, and practice itself. You know, he goes into this detail of how to correct for when we get off balance. And in this particular stanza, it's when we get off balance in our relationship to illumination. 
So let's look at different ways to take in this teaching because it's very rich. I mean, in a way, like we're talking about primordial forces like illumination and silence, emptiness and form, yin and yang. We're really talking about these primordial forces that make up the universe and our minds and all life. <clears throat> and any duality, right? We could probably break into those two essences. So like I said, illumination in its essence is an aspect of awakened nature. It is the, the aware side of awareness. And the nest side is the emptiness side. Or, the, or, or wakefulness or alertness, brightness, clarity. It's also a sense of knowingness. And that's sometimes something that we don't um, emphasize as much in uh, the Zen tradition. We might call it wisdom or clarity, but I like this word knowingness. In the non-dual tradition, uh, Rupert Spira goes into great detail when he discusses the nature of uh, mind or the nature of consciousness to talk about this aspect, this aspect of knowingness. And um, one of the things that he said that I like to reflect on a lot is if we trace back any aspect of our experience. So becoming aware of what you are aware of. I mean, even that, but becoming aware of what you are aware of and say you're aware of a thought. Like that recognition of the thought, that, that is a quality of knowingness. We recognize. We recognize seeing, we recognize hearing, and we can recognize greater and greater detail. But in that just like basic contact with experience, there is knowing. And that might be like the closest experience we have. There is knowing. There is awareness. There's this quality of, of um, Gnosis of cognizance, recognition. And we say that about, um, about awakening. We say we recognize the nature of mind. And this, and this quality that I'm talking about, probably the most essential way to practice it is when we recognize that we are aware. We're aware that we're aware. We shine, and Hongzhou even says this in this poem and in other poems that we've studied this past year, we shine the light of awareness onto itself. And we, we know that we know, or there is knowing. That sense of self becomes just that pure knowing, pure awareness, as Chosen Roshi likes to say. In um, the Dzogchen tradition, um, one of the great teachers of the Dzogchen, Dzogchen tradition, Toku Ergen, who is a recent teacher, uh, he, he uses the analogy to refer to the knowingness of mind as the sun shining in a clear blue sky. 
And I love to use the analogy of the sky to talk about awareness. And I, I see that, that, that that's a tendency towards the spaciousness aspect. And he reminds that the awareness also includes that brightness. It's the sun in the sky. It's not just a cloudy sky. It's that, that knowingness, that, that luminosity. Let me say that's the ground of being. When you trace back experience, that's where you end up. Now, Chosen Roshi has pointed out to me, as I've become more and more interested in the non-dual and the Dzogchen traditions, that there's a pitfall in, in, in talking a lot about awareness, which is the aspect of these traditions that she sees a, the pitfall, is when we keep like pointing to and talking about awareness, we start to reify it as a thing as an it and when we do that we can stop actually practicing zazen in that way that it's an open question and and can see like oh yes i trace my mind back and there's knowing and that's it i can go about my day i'm aware that i'm aware and that's it and it takes away the, the questioning and the, and the sitting with and the doubt and like the, the, just the deliciousness of the other side of practice, of the emptiness side of practice. The silence, the stillness, the can't be labeled part, everything's always being taken away. And those obviously, those coexist. So when we overemphasize the luminosity and and the knowing, we can get fixated and, and trick ourselves into believing like, oh, that's it, that's all there is to practice. I just need to recognize that. And it's a, an, an important element, but the sitting in the bones of Zazen, there's, there's a mysterious purificatory pro process that happens, a surrendering to emptiness and to not knowing. Surrendering to the healing qualities of the dark. So shifting gears a little bit, that was you know talking more about the nature of mind side of things. But shifting gears and, and talking about more just the relative side of, of this light and dark, luminosity and spaciousness, silent illumination. We are a culture that is could say obsessed with light, the light. Modernity is obsessed with the light. I mean, I'm I have four lights on right now, just to make sure you can see my glowing face on this computer screen, which is also made of light. And, and it's been dark for four hours. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> So we, um, we have this privilege, right, of being, being able to stay lit up 
all day, all night long. And there are a few places in the world now where you can get a true experience of darkness. Even I had the opportunity um, this past year, 2021, uh, to go to some of the dark sky regions in the, in the Southwest. And my partner and I we were at Horseshoe Canyon, which is in Utah. And you can't actually go into the canyon at night. It's a very protected area. There are some rock paintings, cave paintings there. Um, but you can sit at this just giant trailhead, just like overlooking the canyon. And it's a very dark sky space. Except there were four other cars there who kept turning their lights on in the middle of the night. And so <laughs> it's just like even, even these dark sky areas, like there is light, <laughs> there is human light. So that's, you know, that's one aspect for this. I'm going to put a few aspects into this uh, cultural matrix. But how else, how else is modernity's obsession with light evident? We can have light whenever we want it, like I pointed to earlier. And so in a way we can extend the hours of productivity of work, of connection with people all over the globe. And in extending those hours of our life, we're also extending the hours of the ego being in control, of practicing being right, of practicing knowing in that more egoic sense of like, I know, I'm right, here's what I'm gonna do, my to-do list, my work, my relationships, my profession, my house. <laughs> and, and we keep reinforcing that cycle of knowing, which is a, a little more coarse than the cycle of knowing that Chosen was talking about. That, that just reification of the one within us that knows that's right. And you could say that at the the obsession with the light is is the obsession with letting the mind, the thinking mind, be in control. The knower, which is also the critic, the judge, the controller, the one who always knows what to do or what to say. And so Hongshir invites the question, well, well, how does that make you feel? At least I get that from him. Like, how does that make you feel? Like, really look at it. He says, well, aggressiveness appears, but like, you know, in that you can hear the invitation. Like, like, how does that make you feel? To be productive all the time, to be illuminated all the time, to be on all the time. Aggressiveness appears, perhaps. And perhaps when we overdo that channel. So reflect for a moment, you probably already are, on your own relationship with the light, with knowing, with wanting to be right. And Hangshir doesn't say these are bad or wrong or we should, and we should never do them. He just said, if your knowing neglects serenity, neglects silence, neglects emptiness, 
watch out. Watch out. There may be some egoic aggressiveness in there, some pride, some false sense of strength, some false sense of being in control. And that's if it neglects, if it's just out of balance, right? We're talking about the, you know, the yin and the yang. They're equal in that diagram. <laughs> and they're interfused with each other. And, you know, sometimes one of them is bigger and the other one's small. But, you know, so we're talking about finding that balance. And we're also talking about sometimes we overdo it in one. And then we have to rediscover how to bring ourselves back into balance. So Hangzhou gives us the remedy to tune into emptiness, turn up silence. In daily life, that might mean, and it might mean just for a moment, closing your eyes and allowing yourself to go inward before responding to that email or, or even answering a question when somebody asks, like really, oh wait, how do I feel right now? Or it might mean letting the mind get quiet and open in the middle of the day, looking up at the sky, taking in the space, breathing and feeling just that sensation at the bottom of the exhale. It might mean in your daily life and routine, honoring the night as a place of fertile practice opportunity, honoring sleep by perhaps not working on the computer right up until bed or paying attention to dreams. It might mean practicing not knowing allowing for, for there to be some ambiguity or an open question in some aspects of your life. Not all, but some. Especially places where it feels like you're getting stuck and there is some aggressiveness. It might mean not making the decision right away or being more in touch with in parts of your life the mystery, the irrational, the unproductive, the playful, the creative, the soulful parts of yourself. And now I want to shift gears and look at this as specifically Zazen meditation instruction, because I think it is too. And then Zazen illumination is the wakefulness of awareness. As we said before, it is attention, alertness. And we harness attention in Zazen by focusing on an object and then maintaining interest or focusing on awareness itself or just sitting and then maintaining interest. And for some, too much interest and and brightness and wakefulness and alertness may manifest as a kind of hypervigilance where you can't relax, where it's like, oh, I need to get every minutia of the breath or need to like pay such, such 
alert attention that not a single thought can creep into my mind. Or, or a, a trying to make something happen. Like, okay, I've been doing this for five minutes. Like something should be happening. I just need to try harder. Or a straining to say, stay concentrated. Or it might mean working hard to, to practice right, whatever right means today to the inner critic. <laughs> Too much illumination might mean that you're trying to practice with the mind. I know I have done that a lot where I'm following the breath, but I'm really just like thinking about it and thinking about all the things I know about practicing with the breath. Or I'm curious about my experience, but I'm actually just talking about it and thinking about what that means. And maybe I'll write a poem about it later. Or, you know, with koan practice, it could mean like you're in touch with the existential questions, but you're thinking about them instead of feeling the doubt that they evoke, which is part of the zazen process, is, is letting yourself actually be in that, in that doubt. Or it might mean there's just a lot of striving energy to get something else. Or so many other ways. I'm sure you have your own ways that you've identified. And if you find, and another way to know this is to go the other way from um, Hongzhou's stanza. So to notice if there is aggressiveness in your zazen or in your life, how does it show up? Are you being harsh with yourself or judging others or the practice? And the remedy in zazen and, and, and in your life too might mean to relax, to practice self-compassion or loving kindness to reset the nervous system, to reconnect with a deep, full exhalation. Or if you notice that how aggressiveness appears in your zazen is mostly just a lot of agitation in the mind, in the thinking mind, entering into the body or entering into sound, or letting, letting yourself listen to or feel the quiet or the stillness that's below the surface level of I have to do and I will and then I'm just sinking down like you're sinking down into a deep ocean. Practically, that could look like taking deep breaths or doing a body scan or opening awareness to sound and simply listening and simply being for a while without trying to get anything or make anything happen. 
So moment to moment in meditation, we are in relationship with these two forces of illumination and serenity. The Buddha used this analogy of tuning a stringed instrument, not too loose, not too tight. And this isn't something that we just do once in meditation right in the beginning and then kind of let go and see what happens. It's, it's a you know, moment-to-moment practice without being obsessive, but just a moment-to-moment practice of noticing, like, how, is, how, how am I tuned in right now? Like this instrument or this instrument of the body, heart, mind, or tuning it. And that can get very subtle. And it can also, like as you practice, you might even notice that there's just natural rhythms that um, the Dharma does to you. <laughs> practice, practice practices you. you know, sometimes Chosen likes to say that. And I notice sometimes in the morning, like if I drink some coffee or I do some yoga and I, I start out and I'm like really alert. And, and then sometimes I start to get agitated and my, my eyes just kind of naturally close and I go like just feel into the stillness and breathe really deep. And I'll do that for maybe five minutes, maybe longer. And then my eyes open and I'm just like relaxed and, and I'm tuning into the alertness again. And you know, sometimes I really consciously do that, but sometimes it just seems like my body knows how to meditate and I just need to follow it, which is really cool. So all of this um, isn't something to obsess over, but they're just you know, interest, I, I think, in, just interesting ways to look at practice and look at our life and look at our relationship to uh, this quality of illumination. And what's beautiful is, is like when you recognize illumination or, or when you let yourself like look at, the, at a light, it may open you up to an aspect of true nature and you can just rest in that. And that's, there's a truth there. Letting, letting yourself be taught by, by the light. And then also noticing you know, the different ways that you might be in relationship to knowing, to wanting to be in control and seeing how that shows up. And next week we'll talk about uh, the serenity or the emptiness or the darkness aspect. And then we'll have some time just to look at, well, how do those two forces dance uh, in our lives? It's very interesting. I mean, we could spend the rest of our lives looking at that as Dharma. We probably are. We just call it different things. Does anybody um, want to share anything? about your own experience with illumination, any reflections after the talk? <laughs>